Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. I am Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. You know, we've really started to blaze through this thing. <laughs> Too fast? No, it's fine. I I feel like no matter what, when you read a thing over and over again, yeah. like you're going to hate it. I but love it. You love it. Okay. Yeah. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we are talking about where you should be traveling mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, we are. The hottest food destinations. With Leslie Souter. With Leslie Souter, our travel editor. Uh, what Leslie's done is compiled a list of cities, regions that are a little bit off the beaten food path, kind of, or at least up and comers. There is a reason why each one is chosen. Okay. So some, maybe you've never heard of this location. Mm-hmm. Some you have heard of, like the East Village. But there's a new reason for you yeah. to be going oh, to this place. Oh, the off the beaten path East Village. Exactly. Yeah. So there, you probably know these places, but we have an argument as to why you should be going to them right now. Yeah. And then, and then we're going to talk about the biggest stories of the week, including Bagelgate, Bagelgate. Hot Milk Man, <laughs> Hot Milk McDonald's Man. in England, all kinds McDonald's of stuff. McDonald's in England. It's it's wild. It's a wild, yeah. Uh, we're in a small little room. We're just getting <laughs> hot and anxious, and uh, you'll hear it all. Okay. Okay, Leslie Suter. You have been thinking a lot about where we should be eating in 2020. In fact, you have put together an entire (laughs) guide to it. Yes. So first, I'm just wondering how you put this list together, how you narrow it down. So this was unique for us because we have done a lot of like dedicated city guides where we pick a city, which is its own whole like crazy methodology that I could get into at some point. But we pick one city and we go to town on it. This was something different where we really wanted to like poll, figure out, uh, you know, 19 cities around the world that right now are, for whatever reason, the best they've ever been. Like, these are the places that in 2020, if you want to be experiencing a city at its best food-wise, like, these are the spots. And yeah, how do you figure that out? Because I live in one place and, you know, Eater's based in the United States. Luckily, we have, over the years, assembled a really amazing team of um you know, experts, uh, authorities, writers, photographers, um, and people who are just generally in tune with the food scene in all over the world. Um, these are the people that I work with weekly to put together our amazing maps to where to eat all over the, all over the globe. So, so, you know, I think I started by sending out um, a note to every single person, which I think at some point was like, it was like 69, <laughs> 69 people um, all over the world and asked them to think about the places that they're most excited to eat, not necessarily to root for their hometown, 
but to like these are people who also travel a lot, who know a lot and have a good sense of context. So where what's exciting them? What place seems great? I asked them to write me a sales pitch for it. And then um, from there, we kind of did our own independent research. We um, dug into our own travel journals to come up with places that we thought like, listen, if you airfare is expensive, like if you're going to fly somewhere in 2020 and you want to eat really well, these are your sure bets. So give us a couple highlights. What what are some of the places on the list? So one of which, which actually sort of stemmed off of our recent guide to Melbourne that we just did, is Hobart, which is the main city on the island of Tasmania off of Australia. Ooh. And right, like Tasmania just sounds cool. It's very far. It's like the closest to Antarctica that you're going to get. Um, and it is, but it's also not far from Melbourne. It's like an hour or some flight. And since Melbourne is kind of so buzzy, huh. Hobart historically has been considered this sort of sleepy port town. And what happened is this museum opened there, this art museum that is super renowned. It's called the Museum of Old and New Art, Mona. The Museum of Mold, Old and New Art is a super quirky museum that this really rich guy opened in Hobart. And um, it's really wild and awesome. And like it's drawn this whole new world of creatives. Um, they have these insane music festivals, um, including this one called Dark Mofo that happens at like the winter solstice at an Antarctica and it's all like gothic and awesome. So anyway, along with all of this cool art and creativity usually comes food. So that combined with kind of inexpensive real estate and um, chefs in Melbourne who are pretty close has led to this influx of awesome restaurants that are opening there. So in keeping with Australia in general, these are usually really multicultural. You've got foods from all over the world. You have chefs from all over Australia coming in and opening really great restaurants. Um, there's really great farmland, so the ingredients are great. And um, who doesn't want to say they went to Tasmania to eat? I yeah. love that. What about in the U.S.? So the U.S., uh, Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee mm. um, is gearing up to be sort of on the center stage for the Democratic National Convention for 2020. Um, and with that, they are having a lot of really great attention with the, with the spotlight that comes with that. Also comes people concentrating more on their food. You know, it's still, this is still the Midwest. Um, so this is still... Mm-hmm a meat focused town, but you're also getting sort of a lot of like Austin-esque food truck parks that are there. Um, there's still all this amazing brewery scene. And with that has come sort of a gastro pub food that's kind of better than it's ever been here before. There's also some like James Beard worthy fine dining restaurants, but you're still getting, you know, this is still Wisconsin. So, you know, you're going to get cheese curds and all of that with it. So it's just a, a butter burgers. Yeah, exactly. So at this point, it's just one of those cities. It's this Midwestern sort of blue collar city that um, is kind of having its moment. And how do you deal with a city like New York or Tokyo? So when you put together a, a list like this, right, like you want to be pointing out surprising new places, but at some point you have to acknowledge cities in the world that maybe you've always thought of as being food focused that are just even better than ever before. So for big cities like that, we focused on, let's say New York, for instance, we focused on a neighborhood. We focused on the New York's East Village. Now, I live in Los Angeles, um, but uh, we have uh, Eater New York and Serena Dye, the editor of Eater New York, um, gave me a real good argument about why the East Village right now is um, pretty much the best food hood in the world. So not just, you know, this is not New York as a whole, but the East Village. If you want to eat in one neighborhood, we might call this the best food neighborhood in 
population on the entire planet right now. Oof. And can you explain why? There's incredible, it's one of the most dynamic neighborhoods in New York. There's incredible um, cuisines from throughout Asia and Southeast Asia right now that's there. You're going to get Japanese, Chinese, Korean, Ukrainian, Indian, Vietnamese, Filipino. Um, They're getting a lot of um, amazing sort of regional Chinese foods like from Yunnan that are opening there. But also like because the prices are generally reasonable, creativity is allowed to flourish there. Zoning is allowed for that as well. So you're able to have these great small independent restaurants that feel of a place, but also very much of another place and all kind of crammed together in this one cool uh, neighborhood of New York. Mm -hmm. That's my big theory about the East Village that um, I think is true, is that because of zoning, there's not a ton of huge gross development in the East Village. It maintains its character and it means that there's a ton of super tiny, tiny storefronts uh, and they mean that you bring in new operators who often don't have the kind of money or the kind of cloud that would go into a big, expensive development. I think not only that, but I think that the smaller the place, it comes up with sort of kind of a creative type of restaurateur, too, that needs to figure Mm -hmm. out a way to use that space and make money off it. And that Mm -hmm. kind of those kind of challenges, overcoming them often yields some pretty cool, unique stuff. Leslie, I love that story about the museum opening in Tasmania. Are there other interesting little pockets that you've seen pop up because of uh, for, for a strange reason like that? or a- um, Well, like, so okay, here's a, a random one, right? So Pristina, Kosovo. Kosovo is like the youngest nation in Europe slash Eastern Europe. It's like it's gained its independence 11 years ago. So Whoa, Beaujolais Nouveau, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> Kosovo Nouveau that you just coined the new culinary term. It's uh, mm-hmm. but it is just, you know, at that beginning stages of any movement when things are just really exciting and everyone's just trying to figure out what the heck they're doing. Kosovo is that right now, but in like a really, Whoa. really fun way. Um, you know, the the Balkan Wars of the 90s spurred kind of a, an image problem for a long time. So they're really trying to get over that by drawing tourists. This is a beautiful country. It's the surrounding countries right now are actually um, some of the new hot travel destinations um, in the world. So that and Kosovo has the same um, geography, similar climate. It has um, incredible farmland and ingredients and also this rich heritage that's sort of an influence of all of its neighbors that it's drawing on and so in that way it's great and it's at that moment where like no one's going there yet and the chefs there are really in that moment where they're trying to establish identity and I found Mm -hmm. that any time that that's your mission um, some really great stuff and some really experimental stuff uh, happens. So So what kind of food are you seeing? um, So you're seeing stuff that draws on its Eastern European heritage so you're a lot of the same reasons everyone's really into Georgia right now Um, a lot of those big dumplings uh, and things like that so that's part of uh, Kosovo cuisine you're seeing a lot of classic flavors and local ingredients mixed together you're seeing that sort of looking inward at its historical cuisine. There's like Ottom- the Ottoman Empire, though, has a lot of um, influence there. So you're also seeing some Middle Eastern flavors that are great. Um, focus on mm. a lot of grilled meats, a lot of pickles. Cool. Is Noma on the list? First of all, um, we, this isn't a list of restaurants, Dan. This is a list of cities. Sorry, is, is not, Copenhagen it, on the list? It feels no, but you know what is on the list is Malmo, Sweden, which mm. is forty minute train ride over a very picturesque bridge um, from Denmark into Sweden. So it's like forty minutes from Copenhagen. You're forty minutes from this capital, um, and it is very much getting sort of the trickle effect of of Copenhagen because it's cl- the, a lot of the people actually who work in Copenhagen live in. Um, a lot of the restaurant workers and chefs actually live there because it's less expensive, slightly. 
I think maybe Mama's the Brooklyn Dude, of Copenhagen. Dude, is it the Brooklyn of Copenhagen? Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, it's, um, no, it's, and, uh, but it also has like its own whole feel. It's very, it's like painfully cute and charming and there's bikes and cute architecture and amazing natural wine everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a really good, it's great. Like, you know, Copenhagen's great, but like take that train ride, go to Malmo. When you put together a, a list like this, like what steps do you take to avoid being one of those lists that we see all the time, which are just like the 30 best places to eat in the world. And it just seems like it may not be that much. Just like, they're just like, you know, brush strokes, not really saying anything and just being like a list for the sake of being a list. Yeah. How do you convey the authority? Well, so first of all, yeah, we turn to locals um, to tell us. I I would love to say that I've been to all of the cities on this list. I have not. So, you know, going along with Eater Travel's whole ethos, like the locals know better. So we reached out to people in these regions to tell us. Step one, argue it one, there's actually not that many lists that are where to eat. There are a lot of where to go and there's a lot of reasons to go. But if food is your jam and we actually uh, have in our sort of introduction to this package, a survey that we cite that says that it's been proven now for for modern travelers in the year 2020, food is now our most prized priority, like the most important thing that we plan and think about ahead of even lodging um, when we travel. So um, so focusing a list on travel, but also around the idea of food is in itself still fairly unique. Once we picked the cities, we reached out to people who live there, who know it, who are food experts in that area and asked them to put together a list of the essential restaurants you need to hit once there. So not only are we just telling you like, hey, this city's great. You should eat there. We then tell you exactly where to eat and even give you a map to do so. So I think that's pretty good. And then what are you going to do for 2021 we're going to come up with the best rest places to eat in the world in 2021 um uh i have a feeling i mean as mm-hmm. is this list if you saw the long list i think we had at some point it was like 113 cities that we were like already pretty enthused about uh whittling it down to uh 19 was actually really hard so um I think the the good news here, the upshot, is that uh, food around the world is just generally great right now. I think there's a lot of interest in it. I think tourism across is growing as a whole anyway. I think everybody's sort of looking inward to their own cuisines and and doing all sorts of new exciting things with them. So um, it's a really good time to travel and eat right now. So if you were to make the best places to eat in the Milky Way, the Earth would be... One of the places you would suggest checking out? I mean, out. yeah, you know, I haven't really checked out even the rest of the solar system. We don't have a lot of locals yet that we can really count on for expertise, but um, and a lot of them are gas planets, so, like, who even knows what that's like to eat? Yeah. What do you even Leslie, do? Leslie, honestly, thank you for saving me on that joke, but... Uh, you, I was really trying really to come up with... a valiant effort. I was trying to come up yeah. with some No, you didn't you, have to, and you could have just let it die. Now, <laughs> now it might have to stay in just because of, of the support. So, of all the cities and places on your list, which one would you personally want to go to next year if you got like a week vacation by yourself, no kids? Ooh, I think if no kids, week vacation, it's a tough one. It's maybe between Georgetown, Malaysia, which my, I have a, the, our expert there um, who is very in the know in that region and says that it is hands down the best place to eat in all Southeast Asia. And that kind of food is my thing. So, um, I am very into Georgetown. I would jet there in a second. But also then I'd probably just want to put my feet up and go somewhere fancy. So I'd head to Marseille, which is historically been sort of like the um, 
like more blue collar um, port town of the south of France, but um, sort of the North African influence there and the fact that, again, real estate's pretty cheap and the coastal food is good has brought a bunch of Paris chefs to open hip restaurants there. I love this. Leslie, you are a joy. Thank you for doing all the hard work and putting this list together so Mm -hmm. that we can dream about where we should be dining and vacationing in 2020. Yeah, and we just hope that some... If you're a listener, just, you know, pull up the pull up the list and just go somewhere. Yeah, just go and somewhere. And then leave us a voice note. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And tell, yeah, tell us, tell us how it was. Love it. All right. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks, guys. We'll be right back with the biggest stories of the week. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Dan, my favorite story from the last week mm. is about a quote unquote hot milkman. Yeah. So I don't know anything about I mean, I looked this guy up, but what what's going on with the I hot? I think you were out on a shoot the day yeah. that this that it broke. That this story hit. And Can, are you not gonna say broke? That this story <laughs> it broke. wasn't a it wasn't a breaking story. It just it dropped. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of funny things about it. So the, basically the story is there's a milkman in New York, who delivers milk the old-fashioned way. So, <laughs> not that big a deal. I feel like these stories pop up every once in a while. The yeah. angle from the New York Post is that he's hot. Okay. Let me say, for listeners, he's not that hot. Well, well he's, he's, I mean, it's subjective. it's all subjective. Okay. He's a, yeah, he's, an, he's a good-looking man, but not, like, supermodel. Yeah, if you, you want to know... What Amanda thinks is not that hot. Look up the hot, <laughs> hot milkman. Milk yeah, I, he's hot enough to, I guess, call him the hot, hot enough to hot. curdle. He's not uh, what you would expect in your milkman. No, you know. So he looks a little bit like a male stripper. Yeah, I guess. Just I guess. jacked, like well trimmed beard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. dark. Yeah. Uh, what's great about the story is just the New York Post take on it. Yeah. Like, no one could do it the way they can do it. New York Post notorious for what kind of takes? Just puns and being cheesy <laughs> and just yeah. really going for it. Like, yeah. all in. Like, we are all in on the story. Uh, so the the lead is, first of all, the headline, meet the hot milkman driving N- NYC ladies to drink milk. <laughs> The lead is Frank Acosta is milking it. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. And then, let's see, (laughs) a lot of fun facts. Quote from Frank, I capitalize on my looks to get clients. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. You like that? Hold on. 
Customers can't wait for the shaggy-haired delivery guy to get their lattes steaming. (laughs) He's such a hunk, longtime customer Leah Shire of the Upper West Side tells the Post. Mm. (laughs) Let's see what else we have. Uh, Another sentence, the utterly, U-D-D-E-R, Lee, One time demanding all-nighters can take a toll, especially when his clients expect him to stick around and chat in the morning. (laughs) Oh, God. So what do you really think about this story? Are, are you just you're just happy that they went all in on it? You're happy that yeah. there's a hot milkman? I don't care about him. I like the idea of the story and that every once in a while the New York Post drops a story like this mm-hmm. where they're just super silly. They did a whole video, which I envied because, you know, I'm sure you were doing something very important. But the New York Post team went out to this guy's farm, went on deliveries with him. All the hot women he delivered the milk to had like blowouts and full makeup. I'm Frank. And women love my milk. He's not the typical milkman. Hi, Hi, Frank. He's very cute, and he's such a hunk. How are you? Good. How are you? Who doesn't want a hot milkman? They were so ready for it. It was was like a Bravo show. Yeah, yeah. He was actually on a Bravo show once. Yeah. He dated one of the Real Housewives, (laughs) and they have a clip of him sounding so dumb, like the dumbest. (laughs) <laughs> His only clip was about how much he loved Mexican food. Kelly Dodd at one point, the housewife. I can eat breakfast Mexican, I can eat lunch Mexican, <laughs> I can eat dinner Mexican, refried greens, like sour cream, chili con carne. <laughs> yeah, it was always good oh, to have some my God. He's a huge advocate for us. Can he be charging five times what the milk is worth? A single gallon costs $8. Okay, and they're buying 50,000 gallons every time. And some families will spill up to $100 per week <laughs> on the single herd, grass-fed, low-temperature, pasteurized milk. Single herd? Single herd, Daniel. Wow. That just means it's small. <laughs> I love the behind the scenes of all these women just pouring the milk down the drain. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's like the women are hot, too. They don't need, they don't need this. Simple, fun story to, you know, relieve you of world stress. Yes. Uh, He also said people are in his DMs all the time being super nasty. Capitalizing on your looks, I don't think it's something to look down upon. (laughs) Do you lean into your hotness? Who doesn't? Is my hair okay? Yeah. We have a verified Instagram account. Just looking on our Instagram DMs is crazy on a daily basis. We've had some absurd requests from guys and girls. You're seeing my DMs, but why aren't you replying? Can you deliver milk at 3 a.m.? I usually don't DM, but I love milk, your milk. Oh, I wanna drink your milk. I mean, people are like gross. Anyway, you know what? Um, I'm happy about this guy. Can I, I'm, I'm kinda happy he's not like, I don't know. If he was brilliant sounding in all these things. Uh-huh. If he were, yeah, I mean, I don't want to make <laughs> no. assumptions, but if he were brilliant sounding, would he do this video? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's all a big, it's just a big ploy. For what? Exposure. I mean, sure, now sure, he's sure. Yeah, yeah. the milkman, you know? And like, you know what this guy can do now is endorse a cereal. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he can't. No, it's like a one-day story. Paul Bocuse... May he rest in peace. Yeah. I don't even know why I'm going to call him the most influential chef or whatever, because there's no point he's, in making platitudes he's anymore. A, he's, he was a big deal, though. 
Very Probably, yeah. influential. Top five biggest deals of all time. Chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, largely credited with uh, a lot of the kind of French New Wave and the, mm-hmm. and the bringing in the ideas of Kaiseki and the tasting menu and the cleaner tasting menu and not just having like liver sauce, mm-hmm. butter fat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. restaurants. Anyway, his uh, namesake three Michelin star restaurant, which had three Michelin stars for something like 50 plus years uh, in France. Um, big news. It had it the whole time? Yeah. Wow. Longest standing three-star restaurant. Wow. Lost a star. Now it's a two-star restaurant. Oof. Hate to see it. Do you? I mean, I don't know. I don't really. You <laughs> <laughs> got no skin in this game. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that... Listen, I mean, it sucks for him. They actually took the third star off his gravestone. I mean, it doesn't no. suck for him. He's dead. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, it sucks, but it, it, you know what? It, it it makes you realize that they don't. Michelin is a, is a cold, heartless beast, which actually I think gives them a little bit of credibility. Like they don't. Sure, they're have, not just gonna let you keep your star, even if you die. Yeah. You know, even Especially if you are if you die. the quintessential. You know, say what you want about the man. That was the quintessential three star restaurant. Yeah, I mean, he probably wasn't that involved in the last few years anyway. So well, no, probably not. Probably maybe not. whoever's running it was so overcome with grief. Yeah, they just couldn't get their shit together. Yeah, um, that's a really. And Michelin decided to go in for the kill. I was at a fine New York restaurant shooting a video when mm-hmm. this news came out. A fantastic French chef looked up at me when he got the news through the New York Times. I was scared. He goes, "Did you hear what happened?" Wow, really? Yeah, and I thought like terrorist attack. I thought he got like a push notification, or he was just looking at. <laughs> Maybe his he's phone. got the chef settings on the New York Times or something. <laughs> like it's only Pete Wells reviews, red alert, Paul Bocuse, yeah, wine tariffs, <laughs> and uh, Paul Bocuse. <laughs> Have you heard the news? This is why I'm not a critic and could never be a critic at mm-hmm, all. Mm-hmm. My heart s- sunk for the team running that restaurant uh. because they let Daddy down. And I found it a lot recently. Some of these chefs are so innovative in their time, mm-hmm. and their restaurants flourish on innovation. And then, you know, it happens to everyone. Eventually, you get to an age where you stop innovating mm-hmm. because any efforts you make to innovate are still like kind of innovating in the this way is just you did. Wild speculation, right? No. Okay. <laughs> This is cold, hard, factual. <laughs> like evidence. you, like you haven't like been there and been like, oh, it's less innovative than it was five years I'm ago. I'm just saying they're doing the same dishes. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. Just I'm just, don't... I'm losing <laughs> you so hard, and we're yeah. in a new room today, and our faces are closer than they usually are. And I just, yeah, I just felt you were joyous for a second, and I just saw just the light being sucked. Like just, uh... They are gonna have in this restaurant coming out swinging for next year, because like it's really seven stages of grief when you lose this star. One, like they probably went home that day. No one was talking. Devastation. Mm-hmm. Then anger. Then fuck Michelin. And then, guys, this is our chance to reinvent ourselves. And then, you know, really a huge wave of energy. Uh-huh. And now they're just, that's a restaurant I would want to go. You know, that's what, those are the restaurants you want to hit. I guess. I mean, <laughs> John, John George didn't earn his back. But they're fighting. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, uh, next up, England's only county without a McDonald's is finally about to get one. Oh, Yeah. That's sad, right? Kind of. I mean, I just think that the way 
McDonald's lobbies to get itself into places is interesting and it kind of comes through in this in this piece a little bit. So the Rutland City Council office. So 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 there was a uh, major uh, fighting in fighting in the city, a lot of a lot of opinions going both ways. Some people uh-huh. were very supportive of the McDonald's for reasons of um, giving an employment option to a lot of the city's youth and a friendly, safe place for the city's youth, youth to uh, congregate. Sure. And uh, in, in very English fashion, it seems that the number one, well, obviously people were like, why do we need this? We have a lot of independent food stores here. We don't need something that mm-hmm. is just pure junk food. But one of the most common um, reasons that people were against it, Graham Show, who lives in Oakham, also opposed the opening of McDonald's writing that litter from such outlets was disgraceful because people throw the leftover packaging out of their cars. Mm. Yeah. I wow. mean, you can do that with anything, though. But yeah. I guess you don't want it. The second it's McDonald's, I mean, it's more disgraceful, I guess. Very disgraceful. Um, Maybe because the idea is that people, that's a drive through Yeah. I mean, Maybe they don't have a lot of drive throughs So you're eating it in your car. You I get once it in, heard about these drive throughs You get it in your car. Yeah. You throw it out the window when you're done. Oldies As kids one does. Thrown out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So the largest number of objections received was about litter, resulting in a commitment by the applicant to provide new waste bins close to where the restaurant has been proposed and to carrying out no fewer than three litter picks each day, collecting all litter found within 100 meters of the site. Not every the McDonald's town is doing. gave in a little easily on that one. That's what I think. Yeah. I just think, you know, all right, here here's a a a, a deeper take. It's it's not from for, from our perspective, being the last county without a McDonald's is super freaking cool. You know? But yeah. it is not up to the county to be there being like, listen guys, like we're the last one without a McDonald's. Like we should really hold strong on that. Like we we don't I mean, we've created this grand majestic story out of this township. Us? I have, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and it's, I don't think it's their job, you know, to to hold strong. As is all I'm saying. Like we don't, they don't have to be the heroes because they're not going to be their own heroes. They're just our heroes, and they're not anymore. But they were. Do you have any thoughts on this matter <laughs> besides just just shame? Uh, <laughs> shame for you. Yeah, shame for me. Uh, no, I mean it's kind of it's kind of sad that they were the holdouts and they mm-hmm. gave in. I think. There's something to be said for holding out against this stuff. In a more interesting McDonald's story Great. to me, <laughs> there was a leaked email last week mm. from franchisees to corporate about how pissed they were about the chicken sandwich situation. Yeah, they're mad. Yes. When you sign up for a McDonald's franchise, when you're like, I want to be a McDonald's franchisee, mm-hmm. you're signing up to the greatest powerhouse in, in, in American food and maybe yeah. food history. One of the biggest food brands in the universe. You're signing up for a safe bet. It's like people who invest in in laundromats. You know, like you don't invest in a laundromat because you want an exciting business opportunity. That's a blue chip stock. And to see McDonald's, I don't know if this really follows through gonna, at all. I'm not going to challenge see, you on but that. But to okay. see McDonald's uh-huh. not keep their king status, at least as the standard, you know, mm-hmm. fast food restaurant. Must be frustrating, you know. That'd be yeah. like well, the, they, the day that home washing machines were oh, invented. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they wrote, "We need to stay focused on coming up with a capital C chicken, capital S sandwich. Our customers are going to crave." 
Yeah. It said. And the kids coming home from school being like, you know, the Feldmans own a Popeye's franchise and they're so happy because they have that fun chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. Dad. Why don't you guys have a cool chicken sandwich? They say, we have been raised to hold up the arches, A, capitalized, and do it in the best light. We aren't always going to get it right, but we get it right much more than we get it wrong. That's what I'm saying. The, the truth matters. Powerhouse. And we have the truth on our side. What? Yeah. Where did that come from? The email. Yeah, but they don't have the truth on their side. What does that even mean? I didn't say that this part of the email was about how the franchisees were feeling about the other news at McDonald's. Oh, my God. Okay. About former employees facing racial discrimination. Oh, all right, you just slotted that one in there. Yeah. Just at the end. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I mean. Just a lot, a lot I, to take in. Yeah, I, I understand the, <laughs> the relevance of the truth on their side more so. I was really hoping they were, you know, getting really dramatic about the chicken sandwich. I like, mean, it's dramatic in general, but they're being dramatic about a lot of things. I mean, I get it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like Tough times. McDonald's corporate headquarters is definitely bigger you know, mm-hmm. than all the other ones. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's going on, guys? Like you yeah, get it together. Get it together. Hashtag Bagelgate. Bagelgate. Okay. If you wanna... Once again, a politician is in trouble for their food choices. And once again, it's De Blasio. Once again, it's De Blasio. Yeah. Yeah. What did he get in trouble for last time? Eating pizza with a fork. Eating pizza with a fork. Uh, declaring Defara his favorite pizza restaurant, the best pizza restaurant in Brooklyn, and saying that he would save them. If oh they went yes. Under. Mm-hmm. But that's more, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. It's just like food-related things. I don't. I yeah. think he's over three, at this point. <laughs> Maybe he's got all kinds of good takes. You just don't. You only pay that's attention to right. the bad ones. The echo chamber only popularizes the, the negativity. That's the so, world we live in. Here's the thing. He has this bagel shop he loves in Park Slope. He tweeted that it's like the best bagel shop. Loves it. And his favorite bagel order was whole wheat, extra cream cheese, toasted. Mm-hmm. New Yorkers, notoriously, do not toast their fresh bagels. It's more than that. What do you the mean? The restaurant, the bagel shop itself. Oh, and the bagel shop won't do it. They don't toast bagels. Yeah. So there's a lot wrong with this statement. Mm-hmm. The initial uproar was about the fact that New Yorkers don't toast bagels. Right. But the bigger, to me, the bigger screw up was, um, was he's the claiming factual inaccuracy. Yeah, of it. like it's like yeah, I go to Russ and Daughters all time, all the time. I love their knish or whatever, right. and it's and Russ and Daughters was like, like, dude, we you? don't make knish or something right. like that. He's just he's he's trying to uh, man of the people or like or talk about you know get in the food conversation, mm-hmm. and that's a fumble, like. Do he doesn't think... know the place well enough to make a claim like this. I mean, maybe he's getting it mixed up in his head, or maybe he buys the bagels and toasts them at home. But like, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, choke. how could he make that mistake? It's like when you're talking about a movie and people are like, oh yeah, have you seen this movie or whatever? And you're like, uh, and some, I mean, I've done this all the time when you just Say feel yes. insecure. Yes, but this is unprompted. Oh yeah, it's this not is like an someone was like, this is an unforced mayor, error. Mayor. What's your what's your bagel order? What's your favorite bagel place? And he just had to like make it up on the spot. He just tweeted it <laughs> unprompted. Yeah. I wonder if like there was some sort of like I don't miscommunication. Know, the button slipped. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying to write something else and it said toasted. Untoasted, autocorrected untoasted. to toasted. Untoasted. Maybe he was trying to say untoasted. Because I'm a real New Yorker. What's funny to me is he just deleted the tweet and rewrote it. Yeah. As if it hadn't happened. Yeah. You got to address it. Keep it up for the record. We all know you wrote it. 
and then say, oops, mm-hmm. auto-corrected from untoasted to toasted. Can I t- obviously yeah. wouldn't toast my bagel. You wouldn't? No, no. How do you that's feel? That's what he would say. I don't care. I yeah, love, I love toasted bagels. I love untoasted bagels. Who cares? I mean, there it's people have such a problem. It's more about the error than the. Oh, the error is the big part. Then the like, like, oh, he's eating it wrong. I don't care how people eat their food. Yeah, New Yorkers need to chill with saying don't toast bagels because, like, if people want to toast their bagels, just toast your freaking bagels. Yeah, who cares? You sear steaks, you know, and like you're eating the best beef of that all time. Whatever. Than people who pull the middle out, but even that, whatever. <laughs> you do you, you know? You don't want to eat all that interior delicious bagel bread? Fine. Yeah. yeah. Fine. But also like if a, if I if I went to a sushi restaurant and some guy was just like, "Can I get extra soy sauce?" like that would different. Is it? Yeah. That you know, we're talking about the height of artisanal craftsmanship <laughs> here. I don't know if it's different. And I think mm. you, we just pick we we just pick our spots and 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 we need to not. We need to we need to allow everyone to enjoy exactly what they want, but maybe not because like which way are you siding, Daniel? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I don't know Just how let I side the, on this Yeah, issue. if you let them toast their bagels and let them have their soy sauce, too. You said different. Which way are you siding? Uh, you convinced me. Uh, Amanda, we had, a, we had a long weekend this weekend, uh, Martin Luther King Day. And uh, on the Monday, you, you, know, you weren't taking the day off, spending no, it I with your family. Published a rumor. A big old fat rumor <laughs> yeah. on the website. You were reporting. Eater.com. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, maybe the people know, maybe they don't. Uh, one of your favorite things to My do. My favorite thing to do. Hear a rumor, start to, you know, credible. Call a bunch of people. Call a bunch of people, make sure it's credible. Confirm and it's real. Publish that Just shit. post it on the website. Mm-hmm. The Nomad uh, restaurant. So I guess I should back up. Mm-hmm. Daniel Hum, Will Gadara, famed restaurant duo. We talked about on this before. They had this big divorce over the summer. Mm-hmm. So their restaurant portfolio included 11 Madison Park, all the nomad restaurants in Vegas, Los Angeles, New York, soon to be London. They had a big place coming up in London called Brook and Davies. Uh, they, have a pl- they had a bunch of other restaurants um, coming up over the next year or two. They split up, leaving Daniel Hum with all the restaurants. And now the people who own the nomad are splitting up with him. So he, if this all goes through will walk away with just having EMP, his fine dining restaurant in London called Brook and Davies. Yep. And the fast casual was supposed to be a chain but isn't made nice. Interesting in that the nomad properties were kind of like the like EMP obviously is the darling of the mm-hmm. of the group. Uh-huh. But the nomad properties seem to be the easiest the the ones that were getting the the major expansion. Yeah, they were going everywhere. They have a lot of buzz, a lot of people. They're part of hotels, yeah. so it's just a big, big, big business. Yeah, and he was going from having this giant restaurant group to having a pretty small fine dining focused portfolio. Yeah, in less than a year. So, what does this um, tell you about? his operations my sense was that the nomad properties were more of will's focus than daniel's even though it was the partnership right and without will involved perhaps the nomad people weren't as on board Mm. and i think with the expansion to la which has been struggling in vegas they realized that people don't actually go to the restaurants for daniel so they don't need a name like him they could just get somebody who can run the show yeah they need operators. They need operators. They don't right. need a guy who's going all around the world 
trying to make a name for himself as a chef and like right. doing whatever he does. Can I just tell you, though, that like mm-hmm. all these people getting bought out, I don't want to presume how they feel about it, but there's there's kind of something nice about just getting bought out. Getting out of the game? Getting out of the game and then just, you know, doing something for like 10 years, growing a bit of a mini empire, mm-hmm. getting bought out and refining and being given the opportunity, both of them, being given the opportunity to hone back in on exactly what it is that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, unless that's just like build the biggest restaurant group ever, and then I guess it kind of sucks. True, but, true, true. But I, I, there's something like cozy about that. Like, yeah. they, you know, wake up, they get a nice chunk of change. Yeah, you should be Daniel Hum's therapist and tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> do you think uh, you think he got a nice payout from the Nomad? Uh, I mean, it's not done yet. But I you assume, like assume we're talking real money here, right? He'll get some good money out of it. Yeah, and you know what? And then he can go back to. Uh, but I don't think it was his first first choice, choice right. of arrangements. No, the dream of the restaurateur these days is to be associated with large hotel groups that can cover your massive overhead, and in mm-hmm. exchange, you yeah. lend credibility to them. Yeah, they so mitigate like, your financial risk. So to the, lose the real dream is to not have to cook on the line every night. Like getting past that dream is first, and then first, like actually the making dream. money. Yeah, Pete Wells wrote an opinion piece uh-huh. this week about how one of the things he's often people are the often New York Times restaurant critic. Pete yeah, Wells. context is important. It in is podcasting. Yeah, about how one of the things he is constantly uh, bothered by, um, or one of the things his his readership is constantly bothering mm-hmm. him about. Is is noise level, and he yep. and they are always telling him to include noise level descriptions, sure. or maybe get a decibel meter like mm-hmm. Tom Sietzma has mm-hmm. in Washington, which is I didn't even know that actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you know what, it's not something he wants to do. I think he finds it to be an annoying request. Um, and he wrote you know kind of an elegant, um, thoughtful essay, I guess, on. Why uh, noise level in restaurants or, or or human noise is actually part of the art, and restaurants are one of the last bastions of. He's like, you know, you have we have noise canceling headphones, we have all these things. Like mm-hmm. we're always controlling what goes in our ears. Yeah. And in a restaurant, you know, that is people coming together over food, mm-hmm. and you're hearing it, and there's nothing you can do about it, and it's part of the experience, and it's a benefit, not uh, detraction. I mean, I think this was a classic. Pete Wells like troll counter piece? take troll piece <laughs> like ice <laughs> cream sucks like, yeah yeah exactly uh, ice cream sundays aren't good um it was 2,000 words <laughs> I just read it yeah it was long it was 2,000 words yeah <laughs> to say that noise at restaurants is actually good and I was rolling my eyes at it but I did like the paragraph that you also enjoyed where Which, it's like, it took him 1,500 words to get to this point, mm-hmm. but then he got to it, and I enjoy it. Do you want to read it? Restaurants are among the last remaining places where groups of humans still sound the same way they did before the age of auto-tune and deepfakes. As of yet, nobody has figured out how to slice and splice and manipulate the way we respond to one another when we're having fun together. That's the signal and the noise. Actually, this is a different paragraph. This Ooh. is like paranoid. So yeah. He's like, you can't manipulate actual human-to-human talk. I, I like... <laughs> I like the point that you control everything. Mm-hmm. Everyone always has their ear pods in. Like just seeing people wear them freaks me out. Really? I feel like I'm in some dystopian future. Yeah. Where it's like we're all plugged in to this thing. Yeah. Um and I feel like you should hear what's going on around you. That's, That's why you can get the hear through thing where it 
sure. has a little microphone inside, and then it blasts the noise of a ramble into your headphones. <laughs> that's terrible. Is that real? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's terrible. So I get what he's saying. I also think a lot of restaurants are too noisy yeah. because that's, of that's, yeah. current restaurant design, which is all about hard services and glass. Yeah. And restaurants were once carpeted, and that was the look. And you would put art everywhere, and there'd be all these soft carpets, and tables would be far apart from one another. Now it's all about wood and these like super yeah. acoustic elements. And it takes a lot of work to soften that. And so many restaurateurs, as you know, open a restaurant and then a month later have to go through this whole renovation to make the sound levels better because yeah. it you can't hear people. And so, I think yeah. he's kind of glossing over that element of like there's some restaurants where it's actually just terrible to be in them yeah. until the restaurateurs figure it out. Yeah, I think that this gives a huge unfair pass to, you know, restaurants called like California Hardwood or mm-hmm. whatever, where it's just dimly lit sound bouncing all over the place. Yeah. And you can't hear the other person. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Like, uh, pump, if I can hear the other person clearly, yeah. pump the shit out of the noise. I get in the car with people and I want the radio on just because... I don't like silence. Like uh-huh. I like sure. Silence makes me a little nervous. So I'm obviously game for it. Yeah. But like, not being able to hear people, you know what? It sucks. My hearing is not fantastic. Uh-huh. I spend a lot of time blasting music in uh-huh. my ears, and uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. and that moment. I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to have actual hearing problems. But when you're looking at someone, kind of nodding and like doing that thing, and where reading s- their lips, kind of pretending yeah. to hear them, and then and then they're like, "Do you agree?" And you're like, "Oh, I was just smiling. Yeah, I actually like, didn't catch." What, That's the say? worst. Yeah, because then it's like it's kind of like you know you're pretending to hear. It's terrible. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a balance. But yes, um, restaurant noise is mm-hmm. one of my favorite parts sure. of restaurants. Restaurant. The vibe of a restaurant is why we love restaurants. Yeah. So I think the. All of his readers that are complaining all the time, they don't just want these silent palaces. They just want to be able to hear the person across from them. And there are things that restaurants can do to help that. And you talk about signal and, and the noise. I mean, I don't want to presume who's emailing in to mm-hmm. Pete Wells about this. But Pete Wells' readership, you know, the New York Times old, restaurant readership. Old people. Old, but old and young, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like people like us and then old school, super old school New Yorkers. And I bet he's not getting many emails from airpod wearers being like i'm so used to my silent airpods i hate when you go to restaurants and there's restaurant noise right yeah signal and noise right like the old people that are writing in about loud restaurants yeah are experiencing life yeah signed in like the old way they're not bernadette i podcasts. sure missed lutess right <laughs> right you know i've actually never heard a podcast before right. don't own headphones <laughs> I mean, maybe this is what you're saying. It's just a classic Wellesian troll. Yeah. Wellesian counter But a Wellesian countertake with, I think, some some fun points in there. If I ever owned a restaurant and <laughs> – I was just thinking about this, actually. If I ever owned a restaurant and I wasn't happy with the level of conver- – I would pump fucking conversational noise into the restaurant Ooh. to get it to the right <laughs> level. EQ'd so it wasn't in the sure, range uh-huh, of people, uh-huh. people's vocal patterns. Mm-hmm. It'd be really funny. I was just, well, the reason I laughed is I was just thinking about, imagine being in an empty restaurant, kind of like Mariah Carey stopped, like when she stopped singing the mic and you sh- her voice is still going. Mm-hmm. You're in an empty restaurant. They forgot, forget to turn like the, the chatter restaurant off. noise chatter. And you're like, where, like, why am I hearing chatter right now? This restaurant's empty. Yeah. Anyway. It's going to happen. Empty I, restaurant. Weird restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Eater's Digest. Uh, what a blast of an episode. What a blast. If you like the show, please rate and review us. 
And if you have any questions for us, email us. Mm-hmm. Digestedeater.com. Please do. And uh, anything else you'd like to... Do you have any final parting words that you'd like to leave the uh, listeners well, with? Well, I think we should tell the listeners we lost our producer, Martha. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was planned. We didn't lose her. She's around somewhere. Listening, I hope. I hope. Hi, Martha. Hi, Martha. Uh, so, just us. Oh, yeah. Just us. Right. So, uh, Team of two. It's just a, a small, you know, dynamic squad. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs>